Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Instructions concerning the Lord's table. Let's pray again together. Father, again, we're thankful for this celebration, this ordinance of the church. It's almost as if your parting words to us were to remember you. And Lord, I pray that we who are forgetful people would remember you in a special way, your gift for us that brings us to life spiritually and promises us eternity with you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're grateful for the work of Christ on Calvary. Lord, I pray that we would be a thankful people, always remembering this great sacrifice on our behalf. I pray that you just really make these principles dear to our heart tonight. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. I had thought about this as I was thinking about the service tonight. Imagine for a moment that you were, of course, a son or daughter of some spiritually minded dad or mom, and she was, or he was getting to the end of their life. And I don't know if you've been around a bedside where somebody who's just been a stalwart, just a steady hand in your life all your life goes home to be with the Lord. Well, imagine for a moment that this person, a dad or a mom, hands you a picture of themselves and maybe an instruction or two or three and says, son, daughter, I just want you to remember me and remember this for the rest of your life until we meet again in heaven. I don't know if that's happened. Sometimes a dad or a mom will leave some instructions or certainly you wish they'd leave a will with a lot of money in it, right? But maybe some instructions about how they are to be remembered and what they desire for you. This, in a sense, this ordinance is really about that. The Lord, after he left, told the church, I want you to, as often as you do this, and uh, celebrate the fruit of the vine, the cup together, and the bread, remember me until we meet again and celebrate this in glory. What a precious time this is for the church. I don't know about you, but I am a forgetful person. I tend to get wrapped up in my own agenda, my own things, and this is a great reminder to all of us to be, of course, reminded of God's great sacrifice for us. Well, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You will recall, just by way of a review, last time we gathered together, we studied this epistle to the Corinthians. Again, largely a corrective epistle. Uh, He uh, does commend them at the beginning of chapter 11. He says, I I want to commend you. you. You do remember the traditions and ordinances, verse chapter 11, verse 2. But the first part of chapter 11, as, uh, as you will remember if you were here, was really to kind of set the record straight, reminding the ladies of the church at Corinth not to identify themselves with the more unseemly lot, sort of women in Corinth, who were shorn and unveiled publicly. And uh, they, uh, of course, had a, a reputation that was not good. And he would remind them, though spiritually equal with men, ladies, you ought to remember your role as a submissive a submissive wife, just enjoying the wonderful truth that God has given you, spiritually, spiritual equality, but a place to serve in great beauty. In fact, we even mentioned verse 10 of chapter 11, for this cause the woman ought to have power over her head because of the angels. In fact, the angels love to look down on the church, I believe is really what this means, and see our order and the roles that we play 
in terms of God's own creative order. And as we do that as a great team, even the, even the heavenly hosts are impressed with our sweet spirit, our mutual submission one to another. And that was chapter 11, the first few verses. And now he changes his tune a little bit. In chapter 11, verse 17, let's read through verse 22. Now in this, I declare unto you that I praise you not. I don't commend you the way you're celebrating or enjoying uh, to an excess this idea of the Lord's table. Often in that culture, they would eat a meal together and then remember these elements as the meal would close. And he says, you're not to be commended in this. You're out of line. First of all, he says, verse 18, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, and now he begins to chide them, every one of you is taking before the other his own supper. One comes hungry, and another is drunken. What, he says, verse 22, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? I praise uh, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. You can almost uh, hear a bit of a tongue lashing on Peter's, uh, excuse me, on Paul's behalf towards this church. The first thing I want you to remember tonight, just look at some wonderful principles regarding this ordinance of the church. The first is to come prepared. It's a warning, really, Paul gives the church in Corinth, and us as well, by extension, that we are to come and celebrate this wonderful time as a church. There are only two ordinances God gives the New Testament church, one being baptism, and this, the ordinance of communion. He says, come prepared, do not abuse this table. It does seem here that what's happening at Corinth is there were uh, folks that were bickering, fighting. We know that already from the study of 1 Corinthians, don't we? They're fighting about the, their favorite pastor, their favorite uh, evangelist, their favorite church planner, or their favorite uh, preacher that came through, Paul, Apollos, uh, Peter, and then Jesus Christ himself, some who had seen the Lord, said, well, we're better than you because we actually saw the Lord in person. And there was this bickering about that. There were lawsuits. There was immorality that was being kind of left alone, not cared for. And then there was legal wranglings within the church. And Paul says, what don't you know? You're going to judge the angels one day. You ought to be able to handle that. This church was immature and carnal in many ways. And they were also excesses in how they were really enjoying the Lord's table together. It was a sight. They were coming together. Those who were very rich brought a picnic basket full to enjoy to the excess. And those that were very poor, and there were slaves within this church coming without much at all. Instead of sharing the Rich would get together in their cliques and enjoy eating to excess, even some getting drunk. While these over here that didn't have much uh, just kind of looked on and still left hungry. And I like what Paul says. I, I, heard, I heard about this, and he says, I partly believe it, verse four, or 18. It's interesting, our reputation precedes us, and certainly he had heard from the household of Chloe about all the excesses in this church. And he says, you know what? I kind of think, I believe what I'm hearing about you, because I know how childish you are spiritually. It's an important reminder, though, to parents, right? He, he didn't say, I fully believe it. He says, I partly believe it. There's probably some merit to this, and so I'm going to address it. Parents, you ever have a, a little uh, 
child run up to you screaming and crying and says, my sister just pulled my hair. And you have to say, what well, I partly believe that. And you have to investigate a little bit. Why, why did you, uh, sissy, why did you pull his hair? Well, uh, well, she found out that he pulled his hair because someone was stomping on his feet or stole a toy. So you have to get the whole story, right? And uh, Paul says, I, I'm pretty sure that this is true just because of what your reputation. I know how you are. But we can't jump to conclusions. Paul's basing this, I'm sure, on good evidence. Well, we're not prepared if we're at odds with one another, fighting one another, and we have uh, no such custom in the house of God. And, and, and Paul says, don't come quarreling and fighting. That's not a way to prepare for that. Secondly, you're not prepared when you're lost. Verse 19 says, there must be heresies among you that they which are approved uh, in the faith may be manifest among you. Who is it, may I ask you? Tonight, who is it that promotes heresies in the church? Well, heretics. <laughs> and heretics are apostate. They're not believers. There were some willfully foisting upon the church uh, things that were not right. Even today we can think about this in terms of this wonderful ceremony or celebration. There are some churches that teach uh, that uh, when you take the wafer to your mouth and lift the cup to your mouth, uh, they, 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 treat, they teach things like uh, that the Lord actually becomes part of that. Uh, transubstantiation, big word, that this, uh, in a, some mystical way, when we take the uh, fruit of the vine to our lips, the grape juice, that, that that becomes the blood of the Lord. And when we eat the wafer, that becomes his body. And somehow, mystically, it becomes efficacious. A sense of righteousness is imparted to us. Another close cousin to that is consubstantiation, where in some way, as we partake of this ceremony together, this ordinance together, that God comes in in a mystical union with us, becomes part of this ceremony. No, no, a thousand times no. God has already finished the work through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what we do tonight doesn't become the the as we partake together. That does that that bread does not become the body of Christ. And that uh, fruit of the vine, that grape juice, doesn't become the blood. It's simply a sign, a symbol of a finished work already completed. And so uh, we have to understand there's a heresies that often go about in terms of this, uh, this uh, wonderful uh, celebration for the church. Christ does not somehow mystically coexist among the elements, nor does he become the elements both are heresies. Titus 3.10 says, Reject heretics after warning them. The cup, of course, and the bread, the unleavened bread of themselves cannot impart any saving merit to us. They only symbolize the work already finished. I love the verse, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, Who in his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Christ by himself paid for the price, the sins of the world. Uh, I love that little phrase, the song, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The drink we drink doesn't become his blood. We celebrate tonight a spiritual reality. The Old Testament, they look forward to that. And in their case, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the lamb itself, the blood of the lamb itself, did not atone for sin. It didn't do it. But it looked forward to the one whose blood would. Now we look backward, don't we, to the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin, who took away the sin of the world. It's a meaningful memorial service for saved folks only. This is the Lord's table for his saved uh, body of Christ. Good doctrine must be promoted by godly leaders. And that's what he's saying in verse 19, that they which are truly appointed or approved or saved and come to spiritual leadership among you may counteract, (laughs) be made apparent among you. Praise God for those in our church that are able to, by sound doctrine, put to flight those who are not or who are heretics. We're grateful for that has not been a big issue in our church, and we appreciate that. Now, it says this, you're not prepared if you're contentious, you're not prepared if you're lost or certainly a heretic, and thirdly, you're not prepared if you're selfish. We mentioned this just a moment ago. Uh, We see that in verses uh, 21 and 22. Here here come the crowd together, and one is eating uh, gluttonous, uh, greedy, one family is taking and enjoying all the stuff that they brought, the love feast or the agape feast as it's known, and they're going to the excess of getting drunk and that others are having nothing to eat. There's no sharing going There's selfishness going on in this church, and certainly we're not prepared if we come to this meal that really is all about the greatest sacrifice ever in recorded history. The greatest act of sacrifice was Christ's love for us on the cross. If we come here with a selfish spirit, it just doesn't make sense. It's not right. And Paul says that to the Corinthian church. Don't come, you're not prepared if you're living a selfish life. And often we uh, see this attitude even within the church. It's a love feast. It's a reminder to us of God's great love for us. And so we're not prepared if we're contentious, lost, or selfish. I love the story uh, that's told about two poor kids that come into church, and they had been uh, invited, came on the bus, bus route. They came to a church picnic. It was their first ever church picnic. And I know if you've played this game before, I know we have here even, where you take a, uh, a bunch of eggs and you separate couples or uh, pair people up and they start tossing the egg toss. You ever seen that in church? Well, uh, they were playing this at this church and these two kids, very poor background, very little means. They came to church, recently got saved and bus route and here they are, their first church picnic ever and their eyes are getting bigger and bigger as they're seeing these people uh, toss these and having a great time. The fun part about this game is that the farther away you get from each other, pretty soon the eggs start breaking, right? When you try to catch them and everybody laughs and has a great time. But these guys, their mouths were wide open. They were aghast. What is going on? They were from a home that was so poor that they didn't have a lot of money for buying a lot of extra eggs. And so one of the Sunday school teachers noticed their shock at this and immediately stopped the game, gathered up all the eggs that were still unbroken and handed them to the boys and said, here, take these home with you. We know that this looks like to you it's a waste of food. And there's this selfishness that can happen, not necessarily at church picnics, but it's an example of how sometimes when we're selfish, we don't really exude the real meaning of this very Uh, ceremony, this very service together. And so it's important that we come to the table prepared. Secondly, we're to come to the table to remember. I would ask your attention at verse 23. Here Paul gives more instructions about the Lord's table. These are familiar verses to you, but I'd like to read them again and, and, and really draw out a principle that would help us tonight. Verse 23, for I've received of the Lord that which I've declared to you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
It was a special time celebrating the Passover. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, the unleavened bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. What do the next words say in your Bible? This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup. And when he supped, saying, This cup is a symbol of new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Many churches have those words engraved in wood on the communion table. It's a wonderful reminder. This is to be done in remembrance of him. What are we to remember? Well, the Lord, as I mentioned as we began the service, wants us to remember until we celebrate this meal in glory. He wants us to remember the focal point of history for all those believers. The thing that unifies us in the body, the thing that gives us life and salvation is this work on the cross. His blood, his body, broken for us. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. We're to remember that. You know, we can forget that, can't we? We can just kind of see this as a duty that we do once a month as a church. Check that off. But we can see it as truly an emotion of love ought to flow through our hearts for what God has done for us. He died in our place. Gave his life for us. That we might enjoy eternal life for him. What is the point? Let me ask you this. We have some army vets here, some those who worked in our had spent some time in the military. What is the point of a memorial? Ever been to Washington, D.C.? It is loaded with memorials all over the place. And I know sometimes the seniors will travel there and look at some of these memorials. And some of them, I have to admit, when I was that age, I yawned a little bit. Oh, no, another statue we got to look at. What is the point of a memorial? This service is a memorial service. Let me just share some of them that you will find there. There's the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington, the Dwight D. Eisenhower, Lyndon Johnson. There's the Korean Memorial, Vietnam Memorial, uh, World War I and II, Civil uh, War. There is even one to Jose Artigas. Anybody know who he is? Maybe, maybe one hand out there, good for you. That's more than I expected. He is the father of the Uruguayan independence. See, I don't know how many of you stopped in, at that one. There are all kinds of memorials. These represent lives invested for our freedom. The World War II memorial, one of the latest, has 4,048 gold stars. 4,048 gold stars. Have you any idea what those gold stars are for? I didn't know either, so don't feel bad. Each one of those gold stars represents 100 American lives that were lost, soldiers that were lost in World War II. So you can do the math, right? 404, nearly 405,000 men and ladies, Americans, died to defend our freedom worldwide. What a high price was paid what a high price was paid for what we're enjoying tonight. You ever think about that? 
These soldier boys and gals gave their lives that we might enjoy the life that we're enjoying here, the freedoms that we enjoy, the democracy, the, the religious freedoms that we enjoy right now in this great country were, were bought with the blood of many who fought and engaged in battle worldwide to defend this principle of freedom. That's why memorials are so important, that we don't glibly go through life thinking that we're enjoying all this but not standing on the shoulders of other generations and other soldiers and other war heroes. What was bought for us was paid at a great price. And dear friend in Christ, what we enjoy, because all the benefits of our Christian life come because of a Savior who died in our place. And it does us good and well to pause and remember that. I was not there, nor were you at the foot of the cross when he cried out, Father, forgive them. We didn't see the pain that he suffered. We didn't hear the cry. We didn't see the deep love in his eyes for the lost, even those who were putting him to death. He loved them. He loved them to the end. And there he did what no other person could do, the lovely Lord Jesus, whose blood was sinless and stainless and spotless. That love was demonstrated at that cross because there was no other way to make us fit for glory. And so he came and submitted himself to the laughter. God, the high king of heaven, submitted himself to the mockery and the laughter, the pain, the scorning of crucifixion, and died in my place and in yours. And he, holding out this picture for you tonight, says, I want you to remember. That's what a memorial is. The Lord is desirous that we remember uh, this wonderful sacrifice. Uh, our lives get so full of so many things. So many things. I know right now your mind is a battlefield thinking about next week or what's going to go on after the service and the busyness of life and what's going to go on next month and where you're, all these things flood your soul. Please separate those thoughts for a moment as we concentrate on the one who gave his life to make our lives possible spiritually. Look full in his face. Come to the cross upon Calvary. Gaze on the scene anew. See from his head. His hands. His feet. Sorrow and love flow, flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose? So rich a crown. I wasn't there, but I'm here. In just a few moments, we will lift the cup to our mouth, the bread to our mouth, and we will concentrate, shutting out everything else, and saying thank you and worship to the Lord for giving us life, freedom. The grace of God makes all this possible. Well, come prepared, come prepared in many ways. Uh, God asks us to be careful about how we approach this. In fact, he says there are some at the church of Corinth have been so careless and casual, verse 26 and 20, or excuse me, verse um, 28 and 29 and 30 and so forth. There, some of you are coming with such a casual, dirty lifestyle, immoral, and you're not even concerned about it. And you've come with all this baggage of sin, unconfessed, and you've come to this table. And he says, I want to warn you, some of you are so unprepared in your spirit that I've given you sickness to slow you down. Or 
in some cases, you've been so unworthy in a sense, so careless, that I have had to take your life. And that's a, a solemn warning to us, not to take his gift to us and for us in a casual way. Then thirdly, come prepared, come to remember, and then come to proclaim or preach. You say, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. What do you mean? Verse 26 is worthy of our attention. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. What does that word show mean? How can this be a display? Well, the word in the Greek is katangelete. Katangelete means to preach, to proclaim, to identify, and to testify. It's a word we often use in the scriptures for preaching. So, in a sense, in a few moments, when we uh, begin to pass out these elements to you, you are going to preach. You say, well, I, I didn't know that. Well, you display by identifying with these elements and remembering his death, you display to others around you that you are saved by grace alone and Christ alone. And you're thankful for what he has done. This actually preaches the grace of God. And the Lord wants us to realize it's only by the only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that sin is remitted. Sin is covered and toned for. There's no other way. And so we are to proclaim the only way. This is a gospel service, really. As we identify, we're saved by grace and we're not ashamed of it. Harry Ironside was, uh, tells a story about a man he met in Sacramento, a Japanese man, and he preached a, a, a series of meetings one year, and this man, you could tell he was under conviction, didn't get saved. Well, he came back uh, for a series of meetings in, in ensuing years, and he met the man again. And so when he met the man, this Japanese man, he asked him, Sir, have you, as, have you accepted Christ as your Savior yet? Very rich Japanese man. And the, the man's uh, eyes filled with tears, and let me just read the story. He says, no, I fight against him. I cannot give up. If I accept him, I cannot make money. Do you have some meetings here, he says, where you're speaking? And Harry Ironside said, yes, and told him where the meetings were being held. And the Japanese fellow said, do you have a meeting on Sunday where you eat the bread and drink the wine, showing how Jesus died? And so Brother Ironside said, yes, next Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. You're welcome to come. He said, I come. So on Sunday morning, we gathered together, he said, to participate in the Lord's Supper. This was an unsaved man, mind you, and as the meeting commenced, this Japanese man came in, sat close up to the front. He was saying, and he says, he, he, Brother Ironside was praying that God might speak to him and save him. Well, the meeting went on. It was evident that he was greatly perturbed. Finally, the people of God partook of the bread and the fruit, the vine. And this heathen Japanese man sat there, looked on, and just as the elements were being placed on the table, he rose up and said, I like to pray, right in the middle of the meeting. I thought, my, I sure wish I had given him a few instructions about this meeting privately. He wondered what this man would say. He prayed just immediately, just started praying out loud. Oh, God, I all broke up. For one year I fight you, I fight you hard. Your spirit break me to pieces. Oh God, today I see your people eating the bread, drinking the wine. Tell how Jesus died for sinners like me. Oh God, you love me, so you give your son to die for me. I cannot fight you anymore. I give up. I take you as my Savior. 
Well, certainly that did not spoil the meeting to have him pray such a prayer. And we realized the simple ordinance would preach to him. As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim, preach, show the Lord's death till he comes. At the close of the meeting, we gathered around him to rejoice in his newfound faith. And then he turned to me, the preacher, and said, Jesus say before he go away, when you believe in him, you bury in water. Baptism. You show old life gone. New life begin. I like bury. You want to be baptized? Brother Ironside asked. I will see you during the week, and perhaps we can hold your baptism service next Sunday morning. Well, referring to the Japanese evangelist that he had met years ago, he said, a year ago, he tell me Jesus Christ coming back soon. So? Yes, I said, that is true. He coming soon. He may. He not come before next Sunday. Well, I couldn't say. He might come before then. Then I no like wait till next Sunday. I like show I no fight anymore. I like be buried today. <laughs> I said, forgive me for, not, for trying to put it off a week. We will go down to the river this afternoon. So in the river, in the afternoon, he brought 40 of his co-workers, his businessmen with him. Other Japanese men were with him. We preached the word again. He gave his testimony. And then he was buried in the waters of baptism. The Lord's Supper is the same thing. It's a declaration of our a newfound faith in Christ, of our, fa of our faith in Christ, and it identifies, it proclaims the death, the burial of Jesus Christ, and of course we know he rose again as well. This do in remembrance of me. What a great testimony this is and of the inner workings of Christ in our hearts, and a, it's really a service where we do this until he comes again, and we celebrate with him in glory. So we are to remember to be prepared in our hearts and then to proclaim this wonderful display, this wonderful truth, the truths of this, uh, this wonderful uh, service to so many others who look in and look at us and wonder, what are they doing? Well, this is a preaching service, really, where we take together, partake together the elements that represent what Christ did for us. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.